This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. We're beginning this new sermon series called Detox today, and I'll be preaching from the letter written by James, and so we'll begin with James chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. We jump to verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love them. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, it's not an accident that we are here today to hear your word. We pray that you would purify our mind and our heart and tell us what you want us to know and believe. I pray, Holy Spirit, that as you inspired your word, you would now direct your word to the hearts of your people and don't let anything I'm doing get in the way of your work. In your name we pray, amen. Have you ever done one of those detox diets? A few years ago, my wife and I, we did that Whole30 diet, you know, the one where you're not supposed to have any dairy or legumes or, or wheat or, or no sugar. And I thought it would be pretty easy. I thought I was eating pretty healthy. But what I was surprised to find out is how much sugar is in practically everything we, that we eat. And, and it's kind of snuck in there with these hidden words that, that I didn't know before I did this diet. You know, like sucralose, fructose, agave nectar, all these hidden ways that, that sugar kind of gets snuck into our food. And when I stopped eating all that stuff, I realized how dependent I was and how, how, how I got so used to it. How I was so influenced by sugar that I had these headaches and got irritable, at least more irritable than normal when I got on this diet. Well, today we're beginning this new sermon series called Detox. And don't worry, there's no green drinks that you have to take, and there's no special diet that goes on with this sermon series. 
But we are going to be talking about detoxing our brains and our hearts from the influences of the world. We're going to be detoxing from all of the the secular thinking that kind of gets snuck into our own brains and hearts in these secret ways, like these hidden sugars in our food. And the thing is, we don't even realize we're eating it up. We don't even recognize how much we are living like the rest of the world. And the first idea that we want to detox from is this idea that if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. The idea that, 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 that life is about self-fulfillment, that the goal of my life is to fill myself up with pleasurable experiences, with happiness, with what makes me happy in the moment, and, and this idea that, you know, if it doesn't make me happy, well, then I shouldn't do it. If it gets a little bit hard, then I should move on and give up. And this is all over the secular world. I mean, this is basically the plot line of every movie that you watch, of every novel that you read, every self-help book that's out there, all has this kind of theme that, that we're all good by nature, born good with this inner goodness, this inner innocence. And then something happens like religious um, commitments or a religious tradition or those things kind of stomp down our inner happiness. And then the goal of life is just to be set free and find self-fulfillment. That is the plot line in our secular culture. And unfortunately, we don't even realize how much we're eating it up. And so this secular idea, we kind of Christianize it. And it goes something like this, that God just wants me to be happy. That that religion and Christianity and the Bible is just maybe another kind of self-help book. I can grab this self-help book or I can get this self-help book and then I'll go to this book looking for how I can find self-fulfillment. And then if anything in this Bible gets a little uncomfortable and or anything in Christianity gets a little bit challenging or hard or doesn't make me feel happy or doesn't feel like um, it sets me free to be fulfilled, then we kind of move on. Maybe move on from Christianity, move on to the church or find out something else that could fill me up. Maybe another religion. Maybe another religious practice. But here's the thing. That idea is a lie. We're buckets with holes in the bottom and as much as you want to try to fill yourself up with with self-fulfillment and happiness and pleasure experiences, it's never going to actually satisfy you. It's just going to make you feeling exhausted and and broken and unhappy. And so if life is not just about self-fulfillment or self-freedom or momentary happiness, well, what is, what is it all about? Well, we got to first detox ourselves from that worldly idea. And how do you detox? You need to listen to what God says more than anything else. We need to read scripture carefully and slowly and let God's word detox our minds and our hearts according to what is true. And so this whole sermon series, we're going to be walking through a letter by the, uh, a man named James. And James was, was Jesus' half-brother. And I've said this before, but I'll say it again. You know, James was the, was the guy who, who looked at his half-brother Jesus. Mary and Joseph had other children. Uh, he looked at Jesus, and as Jesus was doing his ministry, he thought his brother was a religious quack. 
And, and wouldn't you kind of think that too, if your brother went around saying, I'm the Messiah, I'm the son of God, you might be kind of uh, a leery of it, a little skeptical of it until Jesus rose from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, all of a sudden James became a believer and he started following Jesus. In fact, he became one of the leaders in the church in Jerusalem. And then he writes this letter, and you can tell J James has been around Jesus because it sounds a lot like Jesus, especially his Sermon on the Mount. James' letter and preaching sound just like the preaching of Jesus. And this is what James says. He says, James, he, he, he identifies himself at the beginning of the letter. That's how you did in ancient letters. You would say your name first. He says, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And who's he writing to? To the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. That's another way of saying he's writing to a Jewish audience, his Jewish brothers and sisters who are scattered throughout the world. He says, greetings. Consider it pure joy. Now, how would you expect him to finish that sentence? Consider it pure joy, when you get self-fulfillment, when God fills your dreams, when you make it to the top, when all your dreams come true, when you're happy, he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. I mean, can you think of a, of a, of a more un-American thing to say than consider it joy when life is hard? It sounds insensitive, doesn't it? Consider it joy, James, when it's hard. You just want to argue with him. What, what do you mean? I've gone through some really hard things, James. Consider it pure joy. And then he explains, not because of the things that were hard, but because what it produces in you. He says, because you know that the testing, the word testing is the word that, that means to, to, to prove if something is genuine. This is the word that would use uh, to prove if, if, if gold or silver was genuine by passing it through the fire and getting all the impurities out. This is the word that would use you know, to test the, the strength of a bridge by putting a lot of weight on it. Because when you go through trials, it tests your face to see what you really believe. And that leads to perseverance, he says, endurance is the word. It leads you to, to learn to stand and not give up and let perseverance finish its work so that you become mature and complete, not lacking anything. And so we see here what God wants more than anything is he wants maturity and he wants you to be complete and whole. And when you hear the word maturity, now you start thinking about how parents look at their children. What, what does a parent want for their child? Well, it wouldn't be good if a parent, all the parent wants is for their kid to be happy, right? If a parent says, I just want my kid to be happy, well, what is the parent going to do? Anytime the kid gets a little bit uncomfortable, they will try to alleviate every little pain, every little problem, and so they get a little bit uncomfortable. Okay, what can I do to, to stop any kind of pain, any kind of anything uncomfortable? Eat whatever you want, do whatever you want, play whatever you want. As long as you're happy, then I'm happy. And that can be destructive for the child. No, a, a parent wants their child to grow and mature. And that means even sometimes allowing them to endure hard things. Now, my parents are here, so I'm going to tell two stories from my childhood, but don't ask them for any more. Uh, 
I mean, when I was about third, fourth grade, and I remember getting picked on and bullied, and, and my dad could have swooped in and, and, and solved all those problems and, and, and spoken to all those kids, but he told me, you know, you're going to have people picking on you and, and, and challenging you for the rest of your life, and so you're going to have to learn how to stand up for yourself. And so those are some hard things to hear and maybe to be different today. I don't know what you would say today when, when there's cyberbullying and all these other things that are going on. It's maybe a lot more challenging today. But in that situation, he didn't just come in to rescue. He said, you want to mature. Then one more story. I remember one time when I was a really young child, I, I remember this, I lied about, um, I lied about what happened on the bus. Remember that story, Mom? I lied about what happened on the bus and then um, I wanted to go to the movies with my cousin Aaron because cousin Aaron was older and he had a cool car and he was going to take me to the movies. But she said, you're not going to the movies because you lied about what happened on the bus. And I cried and complained and got really angry. And she wasn't about to just relieve that momentary uncom- being uncomfortable and going, having that hard situation because she wanted me to face the consequences, wanted me to feel the pain. And that's what God wants. More than your temporary happiness in that moment, he wants us to mature and grow. He is a good father. And so this is what James is teaching us. That God cares more about your holiness than your happiness. That he wants to make you complete more than he wants to make you comfortable. Now, as I was studying this text on Friday morning, my wife and I, we were having our morning devotion. For whatever reason, uh, she grabbed a devotion book that we hadn't looked at in like over a year. And I don't know what led her to do that, but she picked up this devotional book, really great devotional book by Paul Tripp uh, called um, New Morning Mercies. And she opened up to February 19th, which was Friday. And it just so happened that the devotion for that day was on James chapter one, this exact same section and, and, and this, these are so good. This is what I was thinking about that. I'll just read to you some of the words from his devotion. This is what he says. God isn't so much working to deliver you your personal definition of happiness. He is not committed to give you a predictable schedule, happy relationships, or comfortable surroundings. He hasn't promised you a successful career, a nice place to live, and a community of people who appreciate you. What he has promised to you is himself. And what he brings to you is the zeal of his transforming grace. No, he's not working on your happiness. He's committed to your holiness. Now, I was going to say that line even before I read this devotion. I want you to know he took it from me. That doesn't mean he's offering you less than what you hope for, but much, much more. In grace, he is intent on delivering you from your greatest, deepest, most long-term problem, sin. God challenges us so that we recognize that we need him because he wants to deliver us from sin. He wants us to mature into people who trust in him, receive his forgiveness, and are delivered from their sin. And so that's why James goes on to say this. So blessed, which you could also even translate the word happy, blessed is the one 
who perseveres under trial, who stands strong because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Blessed is the one who who sees that challenge, sees those hard times, and stands up. But what if you failed the test? What if you went through times where where God was testing you and, and, and you saw something come into your life and it was hard and you gave in? You live for this world's pleasure, this world's easy get, get out of jail card, or you, you went through, you decided to take the easy road. What do you do then? Well, when we fail the test and we don't stand strong, it's so hard to accept that we failed the test, that we didn't live up to what we actually believe, that what we usually do is we blame God. When we fall into sin and give into temptation, we say, God, you are the problem. God, you're causing all this stuff. And I hate you, God. I'm so angry with you. And James says we might be tempted to get angry with God. And so he says, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God is not trying to tempt you. In fact, the word test and tempt are the same word. God's not trying to lead you into sin. He's not angry with you. He's not trying to hurt you. He's not not leading you into situations that are trying to lead you into sin. He's not the one trying to lead you down a bad road. It's not him. So so how does sin happen then? If it's not God's fault, how does this happen? He goes on to say it. He said, but each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived and gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. He says each person, they're, they're dragged away by what's on the inside. On the inside, we believe this lie that life should be easy, that life should be about our temporary pleasure. And so if something is unpleasant, we run to that temporary pleasure. We run to those things, to self-fulfillment and whatever makes us feel good in the moment. And that idea that life is just about my personal happiness, that gets conceived and gives birth to sin and it leads to death. So what do you do when, when you face that test and you realize, that's me. I, I've given in to that evil desire. I've given in and I failed the test. I look back on my ministry and there have been times where, where I've been tested. I, uh, difficult people have been put in front of me in difficult situations. And I can say, honestly, I have failed the test. I did not stand up to those difficult people. I, didn't, I did not stand up and hold strong and say the things I needed to say and be the person I needed to be. There have been times in my ministry where I've been tested and I've failed. So what do you do if you failed? Well, that's when I think we need to go to another scripture, the book of Hebrews. And in the book of Hebrews, we hear some similar language. It says this. If you're the person who's failed, it says, well, then let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Turn to Jesus. Fix your eyes not on your sin. Fix your eyes not on your past. Fix your eyes not on on the test that you failed. Fix your eyes not on on where, where you've gone wrong. Turn away from that and now fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the one who brings 
the author of our faith and the one who brings it to its goal. The one who started you in faith and the one who's going to bring you all the way to the end. He's going to carry you to the finish line. Why? In view of the joy set before him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne. Jesus considered it pure joy to face the cross. Not because he wanted to face the pain, but because he wanted you. He endured. Remember what they were crying out to him? They're saying, hey, Jesus, come down from the cross and, and prove that you're the son of God. They were, they were testing him and tempting him and, and saying, come down. And he stood strong on the cross. He could have came down, but the reason he didn't come down is because of you. He would not come down until every single one of your sins were forgiven. He passed the test in all those ways that we have failed it. But now I want you to know, he's not done with you yet. I don't know if you heard that song on the radio, but it's true. He's not done with you yet. He is not done with you yet. And we know that because that's the story of scripture. Over and over again are are these stories of people failing the test and God said, I'm not done with you yet. Like Abraham, many of you who are reading through the Bible in a year with us, I'll make one more plug for that. Keep reading the Bible with us online on the YouVersion Bible app. You've been reading through Genesis and and in Genesis, remember the story of Abraham where where Abraham does these these things, just bad things where, where he has this opportunity to pass the test. He goes into Egypt and, and instead of protecting and taking care of his wife, he gives her over to Pharaoh and says that she's his sister. He fails the test. And then he has a time to do it again. He goes up to Abimelech, one of the Canaanite leaders, and he does the same thing, fails the test. And then um, God promised him that he was going to have children but he was getting old and he was getting worried about it and he didn't trust God. And so Sarah gave Abraham her maidservant, Hagar, and he slept with her to have a child because he didn't trust that God could give him a child. He failed the test, failed over and over again, but God was not done with him yet. And in Genesis chapter 22, it begins with these words. And God tested Abraham and said to him, Go take your son, your only son, the one who loves Isaac and go sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. I'm going to give you another test. And although it was the most bizarre command that God could have given him, he trusted God even when God himself seemed to be his enemy. And he passed the test. He grew in his faith and he proved that he really did believe this stuff. I think about Peter, who's the kind of guy who jumps first and looks for somewhere to land second. And and the, the night before Jesus was crucified... Jesus said to all of his disciples, you know what? Tonight, all of you guys are going to fall away on account of me. And Peter stands up, jumps to his feet and says, even if everybody falls away, I never will. And Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times. And that's what happened. They went outside where Jesus was inside with the Sanhedrin being uh, put on trial. And Peter's outside warming himself by the fire. And a young girl comes up and challenges him a little bit. He tests his faith. Are you one of the followers of Jesus? And he calls down curses on himself three times and he fails the test. But then after the resurrection... Jesus goes and finds Peter, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And where does Jesus bring Peter? out to a fire and saying, Peter, remember when you were at the fire last time? You denied me three times. I'm going to give you another shot. Do you love me? And he asked him three times, do you love me more than these? And Peter says, yes, I love you. 
And then Peter commissions him. And then Peter stands not again just before a, a, a servant girl, but he stands before the Sanhedrin, the same leaders who condemned Jesus to die. And he stood strong. He passed the test that I believe that Jesus is the Messiah and I don't care what you do to me. God's not done with you yet. But he wants you to look at him differently now. James says this. Do not be deceived. Don't be deceived anymore. When you face challenges, don't be deceived anymore. Don't think that God's trying to harm you or hurt you or or do something wrong to you. Don't be deceived anymore. My dear brothers and sisters, every good and perfect gift is from above, even trials, even challenging times. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. He doesn't change. He's not a good guy one day and a bad guy the next day. He is good all the time. And what is he trying to do? He's trying to give his new birth through the word of truth. He wants to drive us back to the word of God, to believe God's word, even when God himself seems to be the enemy. So that we might be a kind of first fruits for all he created. First fruits, that was the offering you would give. That's the best and the first and the best part of the harvest. God wants to turn you into the first and the best part about his harvest of souls so you could be an example to the rest of God's world. He wants you to mature and grow. I love the way C.S. Lewis talks about this. C.S. Lewis is that, that writer, apologist who used to be an atheist, that he was an Oxford and a professor and he became a Christian. And in his book, Mere Christianity, he gives this illustration. He says this, think of yourself, imagine yourself as a house and God is coming in to do some repairs. And at first he does some things that you kind of assume he would do, you know, kind of fix the leaky faucet, which you knew he needed to be worked on and, and kind of fix the roof. But then all of a sudden God starts doing some things you didn't want him to do. He starts knocking down a wall over here and knocking down a wall over there and setting up a wing over here and setting up a wing over there. And you're thinking, what is God doing to me? And then C.S. Lewis says this, you thought you were being made into a decent little cottage but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. So God doesn't just want you to be happy in the moment. He wants you to be holy. He wants to challenge you. He wants, to, he wants you to grow. And that growth, that hurts. That takes time. That's challenging. That's difficult. That's strange. It's a difficult process. But, but this is what God wants you to do. According to James, he's saying this, embrace the struggle. Embrace the challenge. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of all kinds because God is testing your faith. He's driving you back to the word. He's teaching you to grow. Embrace it. Embrace the struggle. Don't run from it. Don't give up on it. You got some challenging people in your life. You got some challenging situations in your life. Your faith is being tested. Don't say God wants me to be happy and run to the next happy thing. Don't run from all these trials. Don't run from all these temptations. Don't run from all these things that are hard. Stand up in hard things and testify that you believe that God is still good and don't give up because God's not done with you yet. I'm going to close by another quote from C.S. Lewis. He says this, look for yourself. In other words, look for self-fulfillment. Look to make yourself happy. 
And you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But pick up your cross, embrace the struggle, look to Christ, and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. So embrace the struggle. Consider these challenges pure joy. Embrace the struggle. Look for Christ and you will find Christ and with him everything else thrown in, even happiness. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, right now I know that that many of us are facing very challenging times. We're facing things that we cannot do on our own and we want to give up. Don't let us give up, Lord God. Help us to stand strong. Give us the strength that, that, that we can stand strong. Give us strength that we don't have on our own. Strengthen our faith that we would look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lead us to, to pass these tests that you're putting in, for, in front of us so that we would prove that we actually believe in you. Lord God, help us to forget our guilt and shame of the past, all the ways that we failed in the past, and help us to look forward to the opportunity to serve you in the future. We ask all this in your saving name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.